right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn, please, to um, Philippians chapter 3. Um, Philippians chapter 3 in your Bibles this morning, and, and a very familiar passage of Scripture probably to everyone, and kind of following up uh, since last Lord's Day was Resurrection Day, we I preached on the resurrection of Christ and uh, some of the things having to do with that, some of the great blessings, um, salvation and, and justification, and some of those things, and kind of just want to follow up on that this morning. Uh, with Philippians chapter 3. I want to read, um, starting in verse 1, and read the first 14 verses. We won't cover all that necessarily, but just to get the, the real impact of the passage and what Paul is talking about here. And the point is uh, knowing Christ. That's the central verse of the passage. And so we're going to take a look at some of those things. But follow along, please, as I read. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what a great passage of scripture. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for thy word today. Also thank thee so much for the minister of the Holy Spirit and helping his servants, your servants, to teach and preach the word of God. And so I do pray for his help today that we'd get through these scriptures. And Lord, that the message would first of all glorify thee and would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you might even use it, Lord, to bring all believers here into a closer walk with thee, Father, that we might have that desire that Paul expressed to know him. And so help us. In thy word today we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So today, the title of the message, Attaining Unto the Resurrection of the Dead, or it could have been that I may know him, that's 
Those are the two great goals that Paul uh, puts forth in his own life, that he would know Christ, obviously know him better. Uh, Paul had known Christ now for probably 25 or 30 years, somewhere in there, and yet his desire was to continue to know him, and then also to attain unto the resurrection of the dead, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But think about this, um, whenever the gospel of Christ is heard, when Jesus Christ is received as Savior, change takes place, and that's a great thing. For example, first, 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, when Saul of Tarsus um, was dramatically converted and saved on the road to Damascus, I want to think about this. He was, he was he both instantly changed and continually changed. And really, that's the work of the gospel and the word of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whenever a person is saved, there is a change. I mean, there's sometimes the change is dramatic. Um, you, you know, like Saul, I mean, he, you know, as he's there before the Lord, what must, you know, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know, he wasn't even baptized. Remember, you know, he's already asking. You know, what, what Lord, what, what, what must, wilt thou have me to do? And then throughout his life, the change continues. So there's a change at salvation, and then there's the continual change of sanctification as the Lord um, works in our lives. And by, by the grace of God today, I, just, I desire to make that very clear as we consider the subject, attaining unto the resurrection of the dead. Um, and so let's, be, let's go back to verse 6. I want to take a look, first of all, at the past relinquished. Paul suffered loss. Paul gave up some things. Paul surrendered some things. In fact, they, we could say some things were taken away from him in a way uh, when he came to know Christ as Savior. Um, he lists his credentials. Obviously, he starts off the chapter. He's warning them against false teachers, um, dogs, evil workers, concision, that's all those that would bring error, that would lead them, especially the Judaizers who were telling them they needed to be saved by grace through faith, but they had to be kept by works and keep the law and do all those things. And so, you know, Paul constantly warned against that. And, uh, and so, so in doing so, um, he gives his testimony. And he's not boasting, he's not bragging, um, but he's just giving it, using himself as an example of how a person can be caught up in their own righteousness, their own accomplishments, their religious credentials. And he had a bunch of them. And so let's take a look really quickly. Look at his credentials. Circumcised, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day, according to Jewish law, of the stock of Israel. I mean, he's a full-blooded Jew, Jewish man, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, his, his pedigree, his credentials were impressive. They, they would have been impressive to the Jewish people. As touching the law, a Pharisee. Now, we all know about the Pharisees. I'm not going to get into that. But Paul if, would, was a sincere Pharisee. Um, Concerning zeal. I want, to just, I want us to think about that for a moment. Concerning zeal. Persecuting 
the church. Remember, Jesus warned his disciples the day would come when he that killeth you thinketh he doeth God's service. And that's what and Paul, Saul of Tarsus believed he was serving God by trying to stamp out this Christ and the God, the so-called Christ and, and the gospel and the church. And you know all about his persecution. It's all throughout. It mentioned the book of Acts, early chapters. Um, he was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was consenting and all those kinds of things. But notice that it says that he had zeal. He thought he had zeal for God. And then it says this, touching the law or concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I don't know if Paul would have considered himself sinless, but blameless. Um, he lived according to what, what everything God required of the Jewish people, and especially men and leaders and, and Pharisees. And so, that was his credentials, but then we see in verse 7 what happened when he was converted. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Gain means profit, advantage, those things which he counted on. Those things which he thought gave him a standing with God. I counted those, he says, I counted loss, and that means literally damage or hindrance, uh, things to be thrown away, and we'll see that a little bit later. But he says, those I counted loss for Christ. So, see, when he met Christ on the road to Damascus, his life was dramatically changed. In fact, his name even got changed to Paul. And so, and he became a great apostle. He became the apostle to the Gentiles, and, and he worked as hard or harder for Christ as he had worked against Christ all those years. Right? And so, obviously, a, a changed man. And he, as you know, throughout his writings, uh, in the book of Acts, when he, had, when he was called upon to defend himself, he gave testimony. In Philippians, in Galatians, and throughout his writings, he referred back uh, to what God had done in his life and trust and just just trusted in the grace of God and and all that the Lord had done for him and even I'm sure though I'm sure that throughout his life he could never he never forgot what he was before um, Christ came into his life and so um, and that's I think it's important for us never to forget where we were and what God has done in our life now let's continue let's go on here a little bit more verse 8 we're still talking about him giving up the past and taking on something new. Yea, doubtless, without a doubt, I count or I calculate or consider all things but loss, everything else, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And the word excellency is the idea of that which is transcendent, better than, surpassing greatness, or that which is of supreme value. If you know Christ this morning, you know the greatest thing in the world. You know, and we've talked about that, and I've talked about, I mentioned it, how as we go around the community here and we talk to people and try to give them the gospel, give them the word of God, uh, most of them just, they have, they have no clue, no idea what, what is in this book. Oh my. You know, they, and people that, I, I've had a couple of guys over the years and they were, they were just railing on the scriptures and all the stuff. And I said one time, I said, well, how much of the Bible have you ever read? And one guy said, well, I've never actually read any of it. <laughs> 
so how do you know? Some of it, how do you know what you're saying is true? Well, I just heard other people say that. But be, be that as it may, you know, think about the people around here and what they're missing out on with no concern for what God's word says. And this treasure, treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, again, Paul was devoted to the scriptures um, and his view of them. In, but can you imagine after he was saved and he, re, he, quote, you know, he refers to many Old Testament scriptures. But can you just imagine Paul after he was saved with the scriptures, oh, oh, that's what, oh, that's what that's saying. That's what that verse meant, and you know all the prophecies and all the things in the Old Testament, how they came alive to him, and he came to realize, you know, speaking here of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And do we realize, and I need to be reminded, what you know, how how great it is that we have the knowledge of God, that we have the knowledge of Christ in his word, how precious that is, and how we just need to keep on studying and learning and growing in the grace of our God. And so he says, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And so... He looks at all that he had accomplished as a Jew, as a Pharisee, and all the things that he had done, and he said, it's dung. In other words, manure. (laughs) Actually, um, interesting, the word dung refers to any number of rotten, decaying things, all that can be worth getting rid of. And so uh, he got rid of all that. And he had a new life, and, and praise the Lord for that. You know, um, when I was a kid growing up, I was, ne- I was never, I think I was once in a Catholic service, and maybe once in a Methodist service, and all the other times from the time I was a boy being raised in a non-Christian home, neighbors invited me to church. I said all that to say this, I've never been, except for maybe two times in my whole life, I was never in anything except a fundamental Bible-believing church. And so I didn't have to unlearned. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have a lot of religious baggage, so to speak. And I'll tell you, it's, it's tough, you know, sometimes talking to people when they're relying on, you know, relying on whatever. They were confirmed, they were baptized, they were, they did this, they did that. And so to bring them to the point, obviously it has to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the gospel to make, have people realize that all that is like Paul said, it's all done, really. It's all dung. Anything that doesn't, anything religious that doesn't lead a person to Christ or bring a Christian closer to the Lord, it needs to be considered just like that. Dung. Uh, bar, uh, barnyard uh, refuge. All right? So, but the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And so he says, I do count them but dung that I may win Christ because of how, how great it is to know Christ and to win him, that is to, to gain his favor, that is to serve him faithfully, and he'll talk about that further on in the message, and be found in him. And here's what he says. Be, be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God, or the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
Now, he talks about his past credentials and, and works and zeal and all that. He calls, the, calls it dung in verse 8. And it reminds me of, the, of Isaiah's writing when he said, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I wonder how soon after he was saved if, that he may, have, he may have read that scripture. And it's like, oh yeah, I see that now. But I mean, we, maybe I, unless anybody, I don't think anybody here was raised in a Jewish background, so I don't think we can understand how it's ingrained in them from a child that it's all about the law. It's all about the righteousness of the law. You know, very few of the Jewish people got it. Some did, that it's not of the law. Um, you know, it's faith. Even in, in those days, in the Old Testament, it was by faith, offering those sacrifices with a faith, heart of faith, a heart of repentance, and, and trusting in the grace of God, even then, through the blood that covered their sins. But a lot of them never got that. It was all about what, you know, my righteousness. And, and obviously, um, when Christ was on the earth, he confronted that all the time. A couple weeks ago with the kids, the News Club kids, the lesson was about the rich young ruler. He came to Christ. What good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And, you know, again, it's all about what, what I do, I do, I do. Paul, thank God, Paul came to the point where he realized it's not what I do, it's what he did. It's only what he did. And um, Isaiah, that verse in Isaiah is pretty clear, pretty strong. Isaiah is not saying that the bad things we do our filthy rags. He says the good that we do, you know, before before salvation, our righteousnesses are as um, filthy rags. Now, he mentions here Christ Jesus, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, the significance of that title of the Lord. But let's, let's go on to, all right, number one, the past relinquished. He gave those things up. And as obviously he knew probably from the moment of salvation, what those things had done to him, actually taking him away from Christ. But then he began to realize, and he wrote in Galatians, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. We might be justified by faith. And so he pre I'm sure he, those scriptures became even more and more, more precious to him as he saw them in the light of the gospel and of Christ. And so his present endeavor is this that I may know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul speaks in verse 10 of four things that he endeavored to do in his life. Number one, that I may know him. This deep longing expressed here was to continue in and gain in his knowledge of the Savior, uh, his person, his ways, his will, and so on. Uh, to know, and again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Paul had known Christ for a number of years, for decades. And he, always, he wanted to continue to know him more fully, more intimately in, in, in fellowship and so on. He talks about it here. Let's, we'll, we're going to bring some of these things to a close at the end of the message. But his heart's desire is that I may know him. And that was, as I was going through the scriptures, 
Um, my heart, my own heart was stirred about that, the fact of knowing him. Um, how much do I desire to know Christ? Um, how much do we, as believers, do we want to grow in grace and in knowledge? And there's other, so there are some, three other things that are associated with that. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Um, that power by which Christ conquered death and sin and the grave. Um, the power to live for Christ and to serve him and to make him known. And we go back and we, we, re we remember that Christ promised his disciples that you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. But he warned them and told them not to leave Jerusalem until they receive power from on high. And that, of course, that happened on the day of Pentecost, and they began the ministry. And, of course, Paul, when he was saved, the Spirit of God came upon him and indwelt him and empowered him to live and to serve and to preach the gospel um, and to do the work of an apostle. And so the power of his resurrection is the power of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And so we need that. Oh, how do we, how we need that power? And I think about that. I do. I honestly do. And I ask, I wish you'd pray for the, for God to direct me by His Spirit and empower me by His Spirit to continue to minister the Word of God. And I, I, I will pray for you folks more uh, in that regard that we might know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our ministry. We just, we've been doing some studies on Sunday evenings and just finished uh, some messages on the fruit of the Spirit and how you know, we depend upon the power of the Spirit of God to live and, and to serve the Lord. And so that's his desire, that I might know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Very interesting. Um, not to belabor it, but we understand and we've mentioned how, you know, in this country we know very little of the fellowship of his sufferings. Other people around the world, they, they know daily, you know. And Paul obviously had already suffered for the Lord. By the way, who knows, where was Paul? When he wrote the book of Philippians, he was in a hotel somewhere, right on vacation. No, he was in prison. You know, he was there, you know, and anyway, we won't get into the difference between prisons in those days and prisons today. Um, I've had some opportunity to be in some, you know, not as an inmate, but as a visitor and, and to share the gospel. But he, so he's, he was already suffering for the Lord. And he had come to understand something about suffering for Christ. The fellowship of his sufferings is to share with and participate in as he already been and was at the current time. I read this interesting comment about this um, in the King James Study Bible notes on Philippians. Sufferings, referring to Paul here, bring him, we could say Paul or we could say the believer, into a deeper and more meaningful relation with Christ Companionship in sorrow establishes the most intimate and lasting of ties as afflicted hearts cling 
to each other. Obviously, people who are suffering as Paul did, they depended on that moment-by-moment fellowship and, and enabling and strengthening um, with the Lord. And he mentions there in Second Timothy chapter 4, the Lord stood with me. The Lord was with him. Right? You think about Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. And how they, and how they, uh, you know, they were beaten and they were whipped and they were put in the stocks and thrust into the inner prison. And at midnight, they prayed and sang praises to God. And of course, all that happened, the Philippian jailer saved, and you know, things that that that, that accomplished for them. But uh, their desire, Paul's desire, to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, is what enabled Paul and Silas. We can understand praying, you know, if we're in prison. But how about singing praises? And the other prisoners heard them. And so the, the fellowship of his sufferings and then being made conformable unto his death, that is, dying to self and sin more and more. Um, and if called upon to lay down his life for Christ. And so um, even... Th- as we have looked at Paul's past and the things that he gave up and laid aside uh, for Christ, um, you know, there is a death to self that is required. Uh, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And you know, and I know, that we live in a very selfish and self-centered society. In fact, even the, the whole concept of our country and, you know, freedom and rights and all this sort of thing, and we can do whatever we want, we can make ourselves, you know, that's a, that's can be very, that can be dangerous in the life of a Christian because it's not what we make of ourselves. I was talking to a guy a few years ago that he claimed to be a Christian, but he said he's a self, I'm a self-made man. You know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and all that sort of thing. And I knew this guy so I could be this way with him. I said, well, I've always said that a self-made man has a really bad, a pitiful creator. <laughs> so, anyway, you know, but it's not what, you know, it's not what we make of ourselves. It's what God enables us to do. And so, the Christian life is a life of self-denial, selflessness, living for others. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ, the example, when he lived on earth, never once did he do anything for himself, to benefit himself. It was always the Father's will and being a help and ministering to others. And so, being made conformable, fashion-like unto the death of our, of our Lord Jesus, the crucified life. And then, he says this, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And the word, if by any means, is an idea of perhaps somehow, in some way, Paul's attitude is, whatever it takes, I will, at- I will attain this, I will pursue this. To attain unto means to come to, to arrive at, or to reach. Now, when we go someplace... Sometimes, like I got, I like to use my phone instead of the GPS, um, just because I like it. When you get to our destination, the voice comes on and says, "You arrived." <laughs> and I always, we kind of laugh at each other. Yes, finally we've arrived. <laughs> you know, and Paul says, "No, we haven't." <laughs> the Bible says we haven't. 
But anyway, so that to, to attain or is to reach or to achieve unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, this is not talking so much about physical resurrection or going to heaven because that is promised and guaranteed to every believer. But to the present life of identification with Christ in his resurrection, Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says that. He calls it the present life of identification with Christ in his resurrection. So Paul wanted to get to the point where he was totally dependent on God and totally living in the power of the resurrection, a changed life. That was his goal. That was his desire. Um, and then, verse 12, not as though I had already attained. So Paul confesses, like we all would and should, not there yet. Not where I want to be, where I long to be. Either we're already perfect, we're not complete, we're not there yet. Again, but, he says, I follow after. I follow after. I pursue the idea. And actually the word to follow after is more than just to pursue. It's the idea of uh, going after a goal. Press on to a goal. Uh, you know, and Paul expressed it also in 1 Corinthians that uh, I not, I'm not like one that beats the air. I'm not as one that runs uncertainly. He knew where he was going and, and so on. He knew what the goal of his life was. And so he says, I'm either... I'm not as I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, I pursue, I press, to, I go toward the goal, if, the, if that I may apprehend, in other words, I, if, that I might lay hold on or seize that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul is striving to lay hold on that for which Christ had laid hold on him, purpose of saving him. Same as for us, uh, to bring us into a relationship with him and to mold us and make us, conform us to the image of his dear son. We might be more like Christ. Now, at the end of verse 12, he says, he uses the title, Christ Jesus. Now, often, it's Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus Christ, um, but it's interesting, I found, if I counted right, that this title, Christ Jesus, is mentioned 53 times in the New Testament. 51 times by Paul, and twice by Peter. And so obviously, as Paul was led by the Spirit of God, and yet this was one of his favorite titles for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Christ Jesus. Why the inverted order? All right. Well, Christ Jesus describes the exalted one, who humbled himself, and it testifies to his own pre-existence and his authority. Jesus Christ describes a despised and rejected one who was afterward exalted and glorified. Again, that's Vine's Dictionary. So, in terms of humanity and, and perspective, I'll say this right and say it carefully, I mean, we know that Christ is eternal, um, so, in respect to his humanity and that and his coming to earth, um, he was Christ before he was Jesus. All right, he was born in the manger, became Jesus, and humbled himself. Again, the same book of Philippians. 
how he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But putting Christ first is the idea of his exalted nature, his eternality, his authority. And so therefore Paul refers to him as Christ Jesus, the Christ who became our Savior. Is the idea there. And so then, there is a pressing, the last thing this morning, verses 13 and 14, the pressing toward the mark. He says, brethren, again, he's reminding them, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't consider myself having reached the goal. I haven't gotten a hold totally. Okay. And he never would in this earth. On this earth, neither would we. Okay. But this one thing I do, okay, here's what he's doing. Here's his focus. This one thing I do, forgetting the, those things which are behind, right, his past, and we could include in that, yes, the things that he gave up, his, his past as a religious Pharisee, lost but religious, and a persecutor, and all those things. Yes, put those away. But also, it would include his accomplishments as an apostle. Because he hadn't reached his goal yet, and he's, he wasn't done yet. He wasn't finished yet. He believed that God wasn't finished with him, and there were more things to do. And so he's looking at what's, what's ahead yet in his life. When I was in high school, I was sort of a long-distance runner. Um, I ran cross-country in high school. And I remember one of the things that the coach just beat into our heads all the time. Never look back. Never look back. Don't worry about the guys behind you. Focus on the ones ahead of you. And that was, our, that was how we trained, all right? And we were always trying to catch that guy, catch that guy, catch that guy. And um, our team was really good. We, anyway, that's, that's, I guess that's beside the point. So we didn't have to worry too much. We, we didn't have to worry either way because there weren't too many guys ahead of us. Everybody was behind us pretty much. But you know, how that applies in our Christian life. The Bible, Paul talks about the race, running the race. You know, and the Christian life is not compared to a 100-yard dash. It's, com it's compared to a marathon. Cross country is not quite a marathon. Our races are anywhere from 2.2 to 6 miles, depending on the event and so on. And so we had, there was endurance involved, and there was look, and again, constantly look ahead, look ahead. Okay. And I've seen some games, um, not as much as I used to, but um, a lot of times there's a guy that gets ahead of the field, and he's heading for a touchdown, and then he looks to see if anybody's behind him. Next thing you know, he's down, he's tackled. Okay, is that because don't look back. Keep looking ahead, reaching forth, forgetting those things that are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Things are still to come. Then he says this, he's reaching forth, he's still looking to that, and he's, and he's striving toward that. And then verse 14, again, is a, is a racing term. And Paul, again, the Spirit of God led him to write, but he had a, he had a background, at least the knowledge of athletics. And he talks about, in Corinthians and here, other places, he talks about runners. And he talks about wrestlers. And he talks about boxers in his writing. And he talks about this in verse 14. I press toward 
the mark. All right? Um, the mark is the finish line or the goal. And so again, we, we, as, we, we, as runners, we, had to, we looked toward the goal and we, and we, we knew as our different courses, we, we walked the course every time before the meet so we knew where we were and how close we were getting to the finish line. And yet, and we, it was, our, our coach was something else. He really was. Because um, if we were absolutely worn out, fallen down, exhausted, that wasn't good. And if we were still strong, that wasn't good either. Okay? He didn't want us to have too much left, <laughs> but he wanted us to have something left. And so that final, I pressed toward the mark. Now that, if you want an illustration running, that lends itself more to a dash in that this pressing is the final lunge. You've probably, if you see sprinters, if you've ever been a sprinter, you know, the tapes across the line, and so they're running, and they make that stretch. And sometimes it makes the difference. That the runner who makes that last lunge farther sometimes wins if it's a close if it's a, you know if it's a close race. But the idea, however you want to call it, a dash or a mile or two mile, whatever, it's that it's that final kick. It's that final effort to get to the, to get across the finish line. And so that's what he's looking. He, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and so <clears throat> there's a prize. Um, there's a mark. By the way, the goal, the finish, that is, is Christ, Christ-likeness. He's the goal. He's the example. He's the one who has gone before us. And so probably two things. Um, I checked some of the books I have and, and some notes and things, and a lot of the guys, a lot of the writers uh, favor the idea that the prize is the crowns that we win, and I, 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 I probably there's some legitimacy to that because the Bible does promise crowns for our service for the Lord. But I also think that the goal or prize could 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 be Christ likeness, attaining to what He would have us to become, even more than what He would have us to accomplish. I can't remember where, who it was years ago. I heard a preacher say one time that God is more concerned with what we are than with what we do. And, I, and it's truth. I mean, both are important. But I have a tendency and inclination to think that if we are what we ought to be, what we do will naturally fall into place. And so, so I really believe that, that part of the, the, the goal that Paul was looking at was not necessarily reward, but I mean, he knew about it and he was looking for that talks about certain crowns that he was looking forward to, and yet I really believe the prize is being like Christ. He's the one that we want to emulate and be more, be made like unto and be conformed to the image of his son. And I realize we've gone through a whole lot of scripture, um, but I wanted to give you the whole, the whole impact there in, in what Paul was describing, what he was desiring in his life. And so one more, in the book of Philippians, one more scripture, and that's in Philippians chapter 1. Um, Philippians chapter 1, very, very familiar verse. I really believe that, that was, this was Paul's life. Um, he may have been um, the greatest example any man living out this truth, and that's Philippians 121, very familiar verse of scripture, for to me to live 
is Christ. And to die is gain. Now, and, and the second part of that verse, dying is gain, is true only if the first part is true. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For as a believer, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 suggests the possibility of a believer having nothing to show for his life and suffering loss, yet being saved so as by fire. And so, um, may the Lord help us. And I, again, I thought about that verse of scripture. And I really, I, we, need, we need to do this. We need to evaluate our lives by the scripture. I had to ask myself, is that true? Do, is my, is, for me, is, to, is that right? For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. How about you today? Um, is Christ your life, first of all, and is your life dedicated to Christ, surrendered to Christ? Is that the only thing that really matters? Is him in our life? We really need to get to that point, I believe, in our lives. Um, if you, like Paul, really want to know Christ, then you must spend time with him every day. Time in his word, time in prayer, time and effort to serve him and telling others about him. If you have somebody that is your, they say they're your friend, but they never want to be with you, um, you might be treading on some dangerous ground here. There's a bunch of married couples in, in our church this morning. Who would you rather be with than your spouse? I'm talking about earthly things now, human relationships, huh? Oh, I love you, but I'll be, you know, I'll see you sometime. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, if you love somebody, you want to be with them. If you have a friend. You want to be with them and then with you. And I started to say, if somebody claims to be your friend but they never want to see you or talk to you or do anything with you, well, there's a question there, right? So with Christ, if he is our Savior, our Lord, and our very best friend, we will want to spend time with him. And he, with us, you know, and he does, he delights in our fellowship. So, Whatever your stage in life, wherever you are, you know, from a 10 to 110, whatever your station in life, whatever your occupation, talents, resources, whatever, so on, we can all know Christ better. We can all draw near to him. If we want to, we can know Christ better. We can be more faithful to him. We can be more conformed to his image. And, and may the Lord help us. In this, these day, in this day and age, you know, what we, how, how we need to be that way. Oh, and this, we need to just show Christ. We sang, I don't know when the last time was, I just was going through the kids' Sunday school songs, and man, I came up with this one, Sermon in Shoes. Man, I, I don't know how many years that been since we sang that, but the point of the song is, do you know, oh Christian, you're a sermon in shoes. In other words, if you're everywhere you go, we're, we're portraying Christ one way or another. And so, uh, may the Lord help us. Um, it's, we have it's such a privilege. We have opportunity today to really stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, Father in heaven, we thank thee for this time that we can have in thy word today. And pray that thou would help us. May the word of God continue to speak to our hearts. And just pray that, Lord, that you would help us to know thee and to know Christ and to serve him and live for him and make him known to those around us. Just please, Lord, work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. Um, 
and we'll sing a couple verses as we stand. Hymn number 242. I know that this is an this is usually an invitation. Oh, that's not 241. Sorry, not 242 is a good one too. But um, 241. Um, I know that this is in the section of our hymn books that's invitation to salvation. But you know, there's application for us as believers as well. Um, especially the second verse, room for pleasure, room for business. There's so many things today that are competing for our attention. Let's make sure that we have our focus on the right things. And so let's sing verses 1 and 2, shall we? Perhaps if there is somebody here who's never trusted in Christ, you need to have room in your heart for him as well as your Savior. So, verse 1, verse 2. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin. As he knocks and asks admission, sinner, will you let him in? Room for Jesus, King of glory. Hasten now, his word obey. Swing the heart's door widely open. Bid him enter while you may. Verse 2 is the last. Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died. Room for Jesus, King of glory. Hasten now, his word obey. Swing the heart's door widely open. Bid him enter while you may. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we're so thankful for this time we could have today and to sing the hymns. Father, to be in the, the ministry of God's word, to hear it proclaimed, and pray that the, that word would continue, Lord, to speak to us and work in our hearts. Pray that thou would watch over everyone as we leave from here. Uh, be with us this afternoon, dear Father, and then we pray for thy blessing on the evening service tonight. Please be with any of our folks, Lord, who are still without electricity or those who are sick and not able to be here today. We just commit all these things unto you, dear Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.